Chapter Seven of the Cliff Dwellers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Cliff Dwellers by Henry Blake Fuller. Chapter Seven. We have been expecting to see you out at the house again," she said to the young man as they settled on the stairs. They were seated just below the landing. Her dress trimmed with silver braid and little groups of flaunting bows grazed his knees he could number every stone in the rings that crowded her long thin fingers we didn't suppose a matter of eighteen miles would scare you it doesn't but you're never home oh yes i am once in a while when you do favor us again get a timetable for the next time after i never heard of the queue charging anything for them i will awfully sudden about mamie wasn't it she said with a suddenness of her own i didn't suppose it was going to end like that at least not right away i dare say you have been noticing how cousin frances looks at me every now and then you might think i was the one to blame she's been talking to mother about it to-night and me i guess i'm going home all right enough don't you want to oh i don't mind but what's the diff far as mamie is concerned i mean she was bound to have him she wouldn't have anybody else it was their affair wasn't it well then why not let them manage it i suppose so assented george dubiously her father won't see her i hear i'd like such a father her sister can't do anything with him her sister yes she's got about as much influence as anybody have you seen her yes are you very well acquainted with her not very she belongs to the next older generation how much older two or three years twenty or thirty she's about the age as her mother but more useful mamie thinks everything of her she's a good steady plodding stay-at-home she ought to have been let out and given a show she's buried there he makes her do lots of work her father yes she writes and figures a good deal of the time she keeps the grocer's and butcher's books for one thing mamie says she knows how to telegraph they've got their own wire right up to the house when she wants dissipation she goes to her friendly and she belongs to a club over there where they read papers and discuss she was a good deal upset urn said ogden abstractedly he recalled the girl's appearance and her little ordeal of having to face a complete stranger at so distressful a juncture yet she had borne herself with dignity and composure nor was he able to deny that she had been as perfectly courteous as her brief appearance permitted how that he understood he had less cause for complaint against her brother and none at all against her he dwelt lingeringly on the idea of a complete stranger he did not feel that it would have been infinitely more trying to face a curious neighbor he had begun to idealize the ordeal and the victim of it a penny for your thoughts he presently heard his companion saying he came out of his study and looked through the stair rail at the little throng below two gentlemen had just come out of the dining-room i was wondering who they were he replied at a venture who those two the pair was followed by walworth whose pleasure it was to pour libations whenever the gathering of two or three together gave a pretext for that ceremony 
One of the two sucked in his upper lip with due caution, and both united in a pretense, decent but slight and futile, that the ladies knew nothing of these hospitable doings. The tall, brown one is Mr. Ingalls. Haven't you met him here before? She indicated a man of forty, whose face was shaven except for a small pair of snuff-colored whiskers, and whose mouth made a firm, straight, thin line. Ingalls? Arthur J.? I don't know. I guess so. He owns the building. The Clifton. He's no dude, murmured Ogden to himself. Eh? Who said he was? Oh, nobody. Who is the other? That's Mr. Atwater. Mr. Ingalls' architect. Their chums. We're in college together. Isn't he the most fascinating-looking man you ever saw? By Jove. He is distinguished. For a fact. Was he born here? Don't you think it's lovely for a man of his age to have gray hair? Gray that's almost white. I shall do all I can to make my husband gray-haired before he is middle-aged. She laughed at her own audacity. He turned about and stared at her, and she laughed more heartily yet. And don't you like the twirl of his mustache? Or would you have preferred him with whiskers? Cut in a straight line right across his cheeks with the corners near his mouth rounded off, but not too formally. And do you notice the bridge of his nose and the air it gives him? And his eyes. Wait till he turns around. There. Did you ever see such a hazel? He seems to have everything. Youth. Experience. Style. Family. Why did you ask if he was born here? She demanded suddenly. Did I? I must have meant. Is he going to die here? Why not? You don't suppose that men of talent are going to leave Chicago after this? Do you expect to provide them with careers? I don't see why we shouldn't. We're on the crest of the wave, and we're going higher yet. From now on, anybody who leaves us is likely to be sorry for it. Ogden looked back at Ingalls. He stood in a doorway between Fairchild and Jessie's father. Is his wife here? Oh, he isn't married. I don't believe not married ingles i mean oh yes he's married is his wife here dear no you have to speak weeks ahead to get her he's the one then ogden assured himself which one her husband do you know her i've met her here she leaned over the railing what are they all laughing about down there do you want to go and see mrs floyd and her sister had appeared in the doorway between them was a little girl of five. She had one hand in her mother's, and with the other she clutched a dilapidated doll. The child wore a guimpy and a prim little frock with puff sleeves. She had long, smooth brown hair that turned thickly at her shoulders, and a pair of big, round, wandering brown eyes. It's Claudia, said Jessie Bradley. Yes, let's go down. Atwater had placed himself before the child half crouching, half kneeling. He had the persuasive and ingratiating manner proper to a fashionable architect whose clients were largely women and wealthy ones, and he seemed willing enough to bring his batteries to bear on the tiny woman before him. Isn't it pretty late for Dolly? Oughtn't she to be put to bed in her own little house? The child looked at him soberly. She hasn't got any house. Hasn't got any house. He glanced at her father. Oh, it is pitiful, in a whole city full. But if I were to say that I would make you one, he went on, 
one with four rooms and windows in each room the child pondered fixing a bashful look on his handsome face would there be stairs yes and closets mamma says we never have enough closet room that's right claudia said ingles commendingly score the profession yes closets if you insist and glass in the windows yes dear me they get more exacting with us every year and and she rolled her eyes around the group as if wondering whether any important detail had been overlooked gas fixtures would there be one in every room with four globes on it perhaps but don't charge the poor child a full commission on them said ingles grimly ah murmured atwater with a world of meaning and if i were to promise to put a nice little red chimney on the roof what would you say the child clasped her doll firmly and looked down at the carpet i shouldn't know whether to belave you she said shyly there was a burst of laughter you dear little tot cried mrs fairchild gathering her up on no very definite grounds for a kiss her father laughed loudest of all but her mother contracted her eyebrows in distress that dreadful horror whimpered the poor woman she must go don't dismiss your bone laughed atwater thankful for the diversion she'll produce a beautiful accent in time well after that said her father i think our little mcgintums had better retire say good-night claudia not yet said ingles not before she has learned that she may have her doubts about a contractor perhaps but about an architect never remember that great truth good-night my child won't you kiss me he lowered his face but claudia drew back i don't like whisky she said solemnly for heaven's sake my pet cried floyd are you trying to start a panic there's horror go go good-night claudia called atwater we won't forget your house upon my word ingles he went on rapidly and with a face still slightly flushed i believe i shall have to reconsider that determination of mine i spoke to you about the other day what's that asked walworth to give up skyscrapers and to do nothing but colonial houses for the nobility and gentry skyscraping is bad enough but the demands of the modern house builder are worse ingles you're not as evil as i said you were i'm sorry i ever called you a philistine why did you do that asked fairchild amused because answered ingles i took two weeks to consider whether i could afford to let the clifton have four good street fronts didn't you say demanded atwater that you wanted to put up an architectural monument that would be a credit to the town would an eighteen-story flank of bare brick have been a pleasant object or rather is it for you see that sort of business all over the city heavens he went on we're doing some horrible things here but we are not the ones who are altogether to blame who says you haven't done well with the clifton demanded anne wilde most of the ladies had retired from these masculine topics and were huddled in a gossipy little group at the foot of the stairs anne had remained behind as an owner of real property that system of elevators is the most magnificent thing i ever saw atwater groaned that's all a building is nowadays one mass of pipes pulleys 
wires tubes shafts chutes and what not running through an iron cage of from fourteen to twenty stages then the artist comes along and is asked to apply the architecture by festooning on a lot of tile brick and terra cotta and over the whole thing hovers incessantly the demon of nine per cent a slap at me said ingles it's enough to make you wonder whether pericles ever lived i doubt if he did concluded atwater are you the only sufferer asked his client how many of our subcontractors failed two how many times were we set on fire by salamanders three how many drunken night watchmen were discharged four or five how much of the tin work did you condemn lots how many of the contractors suffered a penalty for overtime too many how many times did carpenters wreck plaster work fifty how many times did plasterers ruin woodwork a hundred how many men were killed or injured thirteen thirteen cried anne wild how horrible then you don't encourage building commented bradley and mr atwater wouldn't encourage young men to go into architecture as engineers not as architects replied atwater or shall i say as constructionists good word murmured ingles thanks i've got fifteen draughtsmen up under the roof of the clifton when a new one comes i say my dear boy go in for mining or dredging or build bridges or put up railway sheds if you must but don't go on believing that architecture nowadays has any great place for the artist there won't be another fair until long after you are dead and gone i think i've had one of your young men with me lately bradley said he told us that he had been designing labels out at the stockyards but had been in your office before that art may cover a wide range you see he said laughing yes what is his name brainard i think he was a dark young fellow he looked a little dissipated it seemed to me that's the one said atwater now there's a case that boy's father has treated him shamefully he might have been made something of he had a decided taste for drawing and hardly any other i won't say he had any great ability but that wouldn't have mattered so much with training however he had no training to speak of and we couldn't use him he hasn't got the slightest faculty for business they wouldn't have made a teller out of him in twenty years but that was what they tried to do and when it failed fairchild gave a delicate little cough you don't have to listen fairchild said atwater neither does mr pratt unless he chooses fairchild withdrew a little from the group and stood with his hands behind his back while the toe of his boot moved the corner of a rug to and fro over the polished floor freddy pratt held his place but moderated his show of interest ogden followed this new recital with a curious concern his father lost all patience with him atwater went on naturally such a father would with such a son he's altogether out of the family now is he with you yet he asked bradley we had him for a while but he was pretty irregular and unreliable i never knew why until now he was pretty shabby too i guess he was about grazing bottom most of the time i never knew what brainard he was anyway he seems to have made a good try said ingles 
I suppose he'll live on post-obits now and go to the dogs as fast as possible. If he's let go his hold lately, declared Atwater, it's on account of his brother. Everything's done for him. He is just run right ahead. Do you know, he continued, dropping his voice and glancing aside towards Fairchild, that Brainerd has just pushed that Bert of his into the vice presidency? Right over everybody. I don't see how Fairchild can stand it. And what could be better calculated to infuriate the other one? What is his name? Marcus. I take to drink myself. Ogden listened to all this and was swayed accordingly. His brief, fluttering attempt to idealize Abby Brainerd ended, and he saw her only in the cold, garish light of crass reality that was beating down so fiercely on the rest of the family he had been meditating on calling upon her at her father's house moved by the kind of sympathy that anticipates an invitation or does without one this project he now determined to abandon End of chapter seven